you'll all please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we come before you and bow before you this Sabbath day, looking for more enlightenment, looking for more understanding of your word and your way of life, we pray that you will be with us this day. The message would go out. Many would come to understand. For this walk is narrow. It's not easy. But it's only the only way we know how to approach you. So we pray you would guide us and strengthen us and give us the encouragement we need in these latter days. For we know the times are evil and the, and the days are coming short. So let us all prepare. And let us all be good servants of yours as we study and learn of your words. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. And you may all be seated. Yes, we'll, uh, we'll miss... Brother Daryl and all that he, he was, he was so friendly and would always come up to you and ask how you are doing. How are you doing? Why are you doing such and such? And had lots of questions because he was interested in us. I think that was a good example. Not only his, uh, his astute answers in the Bible study, but uh, his, as Brother Jose said, his very beautiful prayers. He had Yahweh in his heart and he's waiting for the next step when Yasha returns. How are we doing? Are we waiting for what comes next? Are we preparing for what comes next? If you visit a workout gym, you see many individuals week after week religiously pumping or slimming down. They work with diligence and perseverance. These gym dwellers don't mind the torture because they want the results. In 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul said that bodily exercise profits a little, but righteousness profits unto all things, having the promise not only of this life, but of the greater life to come. In other words, spend time on doing what will last beyond this life. Share your time helping others to understand as well. To know what's permanent and what's spiritual in this world. A fundamental truth in this walk toward salvation is that the price of eternity doesn't come easy. We know that anything worthwhile doesn't come easy. Salvation is not a guarantee for any of us either. Study the entire subject in scriptures and you'll find that at any time we can throw away our own salvation. Anytime we can. Peter admonished us to be diligent to make our calling and election sure. Second Peter 1.10 Why diligence if all you need is faith? If all you need is just grace and faith alone. He warned about falling away in Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter 3.17. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You may think you are solid in the faith and will still be led into, a, you can still be led into apostasy, even though you think you've got it. You've got to be careful. You've got to watch. Boys being circumcised because Satan goes around like a lion looking for whoever he can devour. No matter how much we may wish it were simple and easy, our eternal life requires blood, sweat, toil, and tears. 
Overcoming is a daily duty. Standing firmly on the word is mandated by the word itself and by Yahweh himself. Even when it's challenging to go against friends and family in order to walk that narrow way. When you consider friends and family, what they think about this walk is often the great spoiler for so many people. They just can't get past the family obstacle. What will my family think? Are they going to like my walk? What difference does it make? They're not walking. It's you that's walking. You're the one you're going to answer for, not them. You don't think the disciples faced the same thing? When Yahshua called Peter, James, and John, did they say, uh-oh, uh, I better think about what my, my uh, family might say or for me to follow you like this. And they're going to ask, boy, what are you leaving your job for to follow this Yahshua fellow? What are you thinking? I think about our new brother, Hercules. Well, we've talked about him before. Standing at the port of entry in the United States. Pointing at each of those authorities who had the power to turn him back to South Africa. And he says, you should be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. You should be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm going to the Feast of Tabernacles, he told him. And you should be going there too. I think of our brother Daryl out walking the road each day. Sunny or cloudy, warm or cold. There he was. All the way down there, all the way up there. I don't know how many miles he walked a day. But he was determined to keep walking every day, even in his mid-80s, up until the end. His spiritual walk reflected the same determination. We need that kind of resolve in our walk with Yahshua. Come what may, we will never give up. What better model of faith and overcoming do we have than Yahshua's own journey on this earth? Yahweh was so gracious to give us an example of how to do it. By sending Yahshua. He's our guide in how to live the life, how to live the truth. Moreover, it's also understood that he is a coming judge, which makes following the truth even more austere. Think about it. Yahweh turns all judgment over to the Son, John 5.22, who is qualified to judge with complete empathy and understanding and loving Understanding as well, having lived on this earth and suffered what the world dished out. He knows our struggles intimately. So at the judgment, no one can say to Yahshua, well, you don't understand what I had to face in life. Oh, but he did. Oh, but he does. We get discouraged after enduring only a tiny part of what Yahshua endured. We have not resisted unto blood as he did. In this calling of ours, we could say to any one of us, as he might say, you sheep have no clue. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Without sin. I don't think we realize, I don't think we really understand it. Even for Yahshua, the pressures were so great at times that he had to separate and commune with his father in prayer up on a mountain or in a garden. At any time, he could have said, okay, Abba, I, I've had enough. I can't, I can't handle this world. It's too much. I can't handle this life. 
People are just too stubborn. They don't listen. Their hearts are hard, seared with a hot iron. What's the use? Praise Yahweh that Yahshua didn't throw in the towel, and you and I would be toast if he did. That's how crucial it was that he never gave up, and we must never either. Yahshua had the whole weight of sinful humanity on his shoulders, if you think about it. He took the responsibility for our sins. You know, all those sins like lying, theft, slander, jealousy, murder, coveting, Sabbath-breaking. He took all of that on him. All the sins that earned the death penalty, he took on himself so that he could pay our death penalty for us. Out of love for his people. No wonder that his father turned away at one point in Yahshua's suffering. He couldn't, even Yahweh himself, with the empathy and the, the love that he had, the love for his son had to turn away for a brief time as Yahshua was laden down with all those sins. Billions, zillions of our sins. He had compassion. And by the way, we aren't saved by Yahshua's death. Did you know that? That's a big misunderstanding. We are saved by his life. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 adds, And Messiah, be not raised. Your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. It's his resurrected life that we're saved from, with, I should say. Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to Yahweh by the death of his son, so that's reconciliation, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. By the death of Yahshua, we have an opportunity to be united with Yahweh. There's no other way to get to Yahweh except through Yahshua. Had Yahshua walked away, the whole plan of the faithful would have been dashed, completely gone And you and I would have no hope of any kind of life after this one. This mere 70, three score and 10. What does it really mean to live for Yahweh? Do we actually understand it and all of the ramifications and all the things that it means? Do we really understand it? When we encounter trials or attacks against us, we must never forget that what we do in response may be permanently and will be recorded in heaven. We know this much. Our words and our deeds are recorded in heaven. For Elohim shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. Every secret thing. You think that he's not looking? No one's looking? Luke 10, 26, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Why? We have Yahweh behind us. We have Yahshua's example. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the master Yahshua, that the life also of Yahshua might be made manifest in our body. He took our sins on his body. We manifest his life in our body. Knowing that he which raised up the master Yahshua shall raise up us also by Yahshua and shall present us with you. 
But until that time, the believer fights battles daily, challenges, things that are prophesied. We know we have to go through. Yahshua knew he had to go through too. Things like pestilence, <clears throat> for example, COVID, which tested many assemblies for their faithfulness. Those here will remember a physician from Kansas who visited worship a few times, came to the feast. Over a year ago, he was perfectly healthy when he first came, but against his better judgment, he took the COVID shot and left his side paralyzed. He then walked with a cane the next time we saw him and said that without permanent medication, he couldn't walk at all. He also said it changed his immune system and changed his DNA. I said, how did you know it changed your DNA? He said, because I tested it. I saw it with my own eyes. And it came then as a shock when we learned a little over a week ago that he had died five months ago at the age of 63. What did he die of? (laughs) You can draw your own conclusions there. But all through the pandemic, we never missed holding a Sabbath service here. We talked to a lot of empty chairs, but we recorded. We never missed a single one. And believe it or not, how Yahweh turns bad into good, that really gave us a boost to increase our live broadcast presence. People didn't know what to do. My church is closed. What do I do? Well, let's turn on the Internet. Hey, there's YRM. Some guy's speaking up there. Let's listen in. We like doubled our presence there. It was great. All of us have inherited deadly disease that will kill us. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death. The penalty of a sinful life is death. Then why does anyone choose sin? Because like Demas, who left Paul, they love this present world more. Doesn't make sense to you and me, I guess. Why would you do that? Leave your chance for eternal life because you like the present world more? Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We all have to die once. Nothing we can do about that. Nothing the doctor could have done about it, I guess. If Well, maybe. <laughs> if you hadn't got the shot, you might be alive. But because they don't think beyond the present, they will say to the judge in that day, but I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And Yahshua will say, I sent many warnings and teachings and examples for you, but you didn't care, you didn't care, you didn't care. What about the second death, that big one, the everlasting death that goes on forever and ever and ever? What about that one? Well, it's our choice when it comes to that one. It's all on us. And we won't escape it by repeating the sinner's prayer or relying on faith alone. That's not going to get us out of it while going around living like the world because there is still a judgment. You see, there's always the judgment at the very end. You can't be saved now. Not till you go through the judgment. 
regardless whether your Christian friend says he's already saved and there's nothing he can do to change that. The fact is, his fate is still not determined because he still must face the judge for the final verdict. And he's not saved when he doesn't live prerequisites for salvation. I made a list. Salvation is awarded the obedient. 1 John 1.7 It requires working out our own salvation. Working out. Not just trusting. Not just having a belief. But you have to put that belief to work. Philippians 2.12 We are only being saved it is not a fate accomplie it's not already done we are being saved it's not finished yet romans 5 9 we must endure to the end matthew 10 22 yasha said and we have only the hope of eternal life now titus 3 7 Saved in the Greek. How about, oh, they'll say, well, how about 1 Corinthians 1.18, 2.15, and 2 Timothy 1.9? says you're saved. Well, saved is the Greek 49.82, sudzo, and means deliver, protect, or preserve. Quite a different meaning, isn't it? Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words explains sudzo in depth. It says, of material and temporary deliverance from danger, suffering, etc., Yahweh's power to deliver from the bondage of sin, future deliverance of believers at the second coming of Yahshua the Messiah, of those who endure to the end. That's what the scholars say the Greek says. It's aorist present in the Greek. If you know a little Greek grammar, it means now. This is what we're striving for now. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Everyone's going to answer to the life they lived, according to what he has done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. That's uh, kind of sobering, isn't it? You have to answer for your life, all the things you did, all the things that are recorded. Now we can... Turn them back in a a great video and watch everything you did, if you wanted to. Some might ask, well, aren't those in the first resurrection already saved? Already judged? Yes. But they're saved only when Yahshua returns at the second coming at the end. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, any means, when I have preached to others, I myself would be a castaway. It could happen to me, people. If the greatest evangelist next to Yahshua the Messiah said this, was concerned that he could fall and be judged unworthily, who are any of us? I mentioned before that I sat next to a plane passenger who told me he's saved and nothing he does or will do changes that. I thought, how narcissistic. (laughs) Friend, you have no clue. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. I invited him to look at Hebrews 6, where it says you can fall from grace. You can actually 
lose your salvation. Well, I don't know anything about that. That was his answer. Well, I think you need to look at it and maybe give it some consideration because it's the truth. You can't just blow off certain scriptures because you don't believe like they do or don't believe as they say. In the judgment, Yahshua's verdict rests heavily on Hebrews 10.26. For if we sin willfully, after that receive the knowledge of the truth, there remain no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Pair this with Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 and 10, 27 to 31. And then tell me that salvation is a done deal in your life. At any time, any one of us can fall from grace through sin. And if we sin, we have an advocate with Yahshua. But if we don't confess our sins to him, they're still with us. Matthew 25, 32 speaks of the final judgment with Yahshua as the judge. And before him shall be gathered all nations... And he shall separate them one from another as a sheep, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then so the king shall say unto them on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So it was always in the plan that the righteous, the chosen will be in the kingdom. This design for the faithful to inherit the kingdom was already in play, even at creation. Now, also revealed here is a neglected assessment Yahshua uses for determining righteousness and salvation. It's something we too often gloss right over and ignore. I want to do a little demonstration, a little test. I'd like everybody to look down. Just look down. Maybe it's your Bible. Hope you got it with you. And I want to ask, see how observant you are to things that you may have ignored. How many menorahs are there up here? Don't, don't look. How many menorahs are up here? Anybody have a clue? Nope. 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 Jenny says six. I got five. Uh, I got five, or maybe three and two halves, one half and one half up here. But uh, where did you get the sixth one? Am I? Well, they took one down. (laughs) There were two over here. I had to recount this morning. So there's five, I believe. If you take half, those two halves is one each. Continuing in verse 35, Yasha said, Here's something that's ignored, or glossed over, let's say. For I wasn't hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then they answered him, saying, Master, when did we do that to you? Verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them, On the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why are they cursed with death? 
Are these two verses connected? In other words, if we don't do this, are we in jeopardy? If we don't do this, for I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in, naked and you clothed me not, sick and in prison and you visited me not. That is worthy of death, Yasha just said. I never looked at that that closely. But again, you've got to observe and dig deep in the scriptures. 2546, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This is shocking. This is serious, brethren. Ask yourself, what was Joshua's purpose for coming to earth? Boil down to the essence. There's only three words of what it, why he came to this earth. To help people. To help others. Help them attain the kingdom. And as a side obligation, to heal the sick. And the infirmed, to feed the starving, which he did a lot, to minister to the downtrodden, which he also did. Think about it. He did this to help those that need it. And I'll have to applaud the brothers who said, you know what, we need to do something more here. So we started going to the food bank and helping out there. And I need to go there too. I haven't been there yet. We've been doing it for a year. I don't know. Anyway, I guess there's a new food bank that's going in. We have to go to Columbia. I wish we could do it closer, but it doesn't matter. We're going to do it. We're going to spend some time helping people eat. We know that the unrepentant wicked who defy Yahweh and walk all over his laws will be cast into the lake of fire. But we also see that by refusing to help those who need it in whatever way they need as followers of Yahshua, we could end up in a bad way. It's a command to help the disadvantaged. With roots going back to Deuteronomy 24.19. This isn't just something that Yahshua came up with. Look at Deuteronomy 24.19. When you cut down your harvest in the field and have forgot a sheaf in the, in the field, you shall not go again to get it, to fetch it. It shall be there for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that Yahweh your Elohim may bless you in the work of your hands. When you beat us your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. Whatever is left, it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When you gather grapes in your vineyard, when you shall, you shall not glean it afterwards, it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. Whatever is left over, don't clean it perfectly clean. Leave it for those who can use it. You shall remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do these things. Yahshua is very serious about helping those in need. Sacrificing of ourselves for others and sharing with those who lack. Exactly as he himself did over and over and over. He gave his whole life to people. He didn't even think about himself. He said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. In fact, the third Tithe was commanded, as we know, every three years to help the stranger, to help the fatherless and the widow. And a warning against those who don't. It was a living example Yahshua set for us. Even in Acts 20, verse 35, Paul wrote, I have showed you 
all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the sovereign Yahshua, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What we do here and now has eternal consequences. It shows our heart, among other things. Realize that ultimately, Yahweh doesn't cast the wicked into Gehenna fire. Did you know that? Yahweh doesn't cast them in. They do it to themselves. They do it to themselves. That fire was made specifically for Hasatan and his angels. But it can accommodate the wicked as well when they live iniquitous, self-centered lives. They do it to themselves. There are two kinds of people in this world, the givers and the takers. Each are going to be rewarded for what they do and what they deserve. I like Hebrews 13, 16 in the contemporary English version. But don't forget to help others and to share your possessions with them. This too is like offering a sacrifice that pleases Yahweh. We don't expect a blessing by doing such things, but a blessing is going to come if we do. A blessings we'll get anyway, either now or maybe in the kingdom. This is a sacrifice not listed in the sacrifices of Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. It's a sacrifice that comes directly from the heart. and exists, exists totally at the belief and faith level where we see those in need that have a special insight and something that we can't ignore. And the believer does something about it. It's a top drawer, spiritual level sacrifice that's not reached by just anyone. The officer had this spiritual, spiritual empathy when he healed the sick. He gives us an example. Good Samaritan. The pompous walked right by the poor guy. The Samaritan stopped and helped him. Samaritans weren't really liked by Israel. The Israelites, they didn't, the Jews, they, they didn't like them because they were like half-breeds. They were, they were brought in after that area was conquered by a foreign power, and they were brought in, and, uh, or, or they were the leftovers <laughs> that were there after they, the uh, enemy left. So they, they weren't really the natural inborn uh, Israel, so they didn't like them. So Yahshua, he's an example. Look at, look at this guy. The guy you don't even like. Look what he does. He helps people, you know. Kind of amazing, the, the power of his, uh, his example. But Yahshua had spiritual empathy when he healed and had compassion on the poor and acted to relieve their pain and suffering. Yahshua's brother James got it. In 2.16, he wrote, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart and be, be peace, in peace, be ye warmed and filled notwithstanding you don't give them those things that they need, what does that profit? We're all at different spiritual levels, brethren. We've been in groups where perfection is expected from the very start. And if you didn't measure up, you were looked down upon. That's not going to happen for most people, probably 99%. It's not. We encounter those who believe that they're not good enough for baptism. I've not met anyone who's worthy of baptism. Good enough is not a requirement, but a willing heart, a repentant heart that wants to change, that's the requirement. 
It's the repentance after baptism that counts. You've heard the disaffected maybe say, well, those believers over there, they're hypocrites. I'm not going there to that group. They're not perfect. They got sinners going there. Well, listen, neither we or anyone else is perfect. You're not going to find a perfect group. That's why we're here. Who would say, oh, uh, I'm not going to that workout gym. There's heavy people in there working out. Yes, and I applaud those who are trying to do something for, to better their health. Yahshua said many are called, few are chosen. Why? Because it takes a certain dedication and resolve to continue in the truth. It's not an easy walk. Nobody says it's easy. Some just don't have the right stuff. I'm sorry. They just don't. And Yahweh gives us the standard to see if we can live up to it. I once applied for a kind of a skilled labor job. I was given two weeks to perform. Now, the the employer, I guess, wanted to see proof of what I wrote down on the application. I could do this and I can do that. Okay, do it. I want to see it. I want to see proof of what I could actually do. He wanted me to demonstrate that I could handle the work. Just saying I could wasn't good enough. He was investing in me, and I don't blame him. He wanted to see whether I had the right stuff. In the military, there are the elite forces that are trained to the breaking point. The Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, the Green Berets, Special Forces. They're going to be used for extraordinary situations and assignments. They got to be the best. They got to perform the best in order to go above and beyond the call of normal duty. So they're tried and they're tested in training. I mean, they're really tested. Did you know that nearly 70% of enlisted SEALs drop out during the training? Can't handle it. Unbelievable what they have to go through. Uh, I worked with a sister who in the office was telling me about her son who was a Navy SEAL. And he said, you wouldn't believe how far they have to swim underwater, either that or drown. (laughs) All sorts of stories I could, could tell here, but I'm not. Dr. Don, who comes here, explained how medical interns were once pushed, and I've heard of this too, and maybe you have too, pushed to work with only a little sleep in three days, pushed, 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 to train for the rigors of working long hours under stress and pressure. This walk we're on, brethren, is only for the totally dedicated. Many, but not all, are called. And of that number, only a few are going to be chosen. We're tested along the entire way. Yahweh sees that the more useful we will be in the kingdom, the more trials we're given to overcome. He's testing us. Do we have it? Will we continue on or will we give up? We must not hyperventilate when difficulties come one after another. Peter cautioned in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is about to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? What's he doing to me? But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Messiah's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Once you make it through, you're going to say, oh, it was all so well worth it. 
Verse 16 adds, Yet if any man suffers as a follower of Messiah, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify Yahweh on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of Elohim. See, this is the judgment we're going through right now, if we're called. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the good news of Elohim? What are they going to face? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, scarcely, where shall the unrighteous and the sinner appear? Thinking, what, 70, 80, 90% may not make it? I hope not. I hope we're not part of that. But we're on the cutting edge, and the cutting edge is also the bleeding edge. We have to be in the world, but we have the choice of whether or not to participate in its wrongdoings. We have the choice. Gehenna is our choice. There are three obstacles to conversion to truth for most people, things that hold many back. The first being the comfort zone where people become cozy and and don't like change. That's 80% of people. They don't like change. 80% of the population finds reasons not to make general changes in their life, even if that change is beneficial. No, I'm not going to do it. Think of the thousands who followed Yahshua around but never committed. There were 3,000 that Peter baptized in Acts 2. Why weren't some of them baptized before? Well, they were walking around with Yahshua and taking in everything in. It was interesting. And, of course, they also loved the bread and fish that he offered. That's as far as it went with them. 3,000. Where were they? The second obstacle that holds people back is an acquired, what you call an acquired helplessness. They haven't been able to do much in their life. Uh, they've been less than successful. They believe they can't hold up to the rigors of the truth either. Oh, I could never do that. That's too tough. Like the person who told my wife, you, you actually fast for a whole day at atonement? A whole day? Not even drinking? Oh, that's too much for me. They could never do it. They believe they can't hold up. They passively stand back and will not take the leap out of fail of, or fear of, of failure. Or the unknown. Think of Moses as initial excuses when Yahweh called, well, I can't. You want me to go to Pharaoh? I can't even talk right. I don't know if he stuttered or whatever his problem was. I could never do that. This is Yahweh calling. You think he can't make you talk right? Okay, Moses, we'll get Aaron to do it for you, but you're not, I'm not giving up on you. The third roadblock is the path of least resistance. It's human nature to look for the easy, the broad way, the simple way. Just go sit in a pew for 20 minutes a week and you got it made. That's all you got to do. In fact, he promised that it would be the reverse. We must be willing to take hard knocks in this life that we live for Yahweh. Think of Yahshua, what he went through. Think of Paul, all the things he went through. Or Jeremiah, how he kept getting knocked down by the people he was prophesying to. Or any of the prophets. All who stand for the truth will endure trials and even persecution in some manner or another for doing so. So why put in for difficulties? Isn't life tough enough? We do it because we won't ignore Yahweh's calling. He's called us. We have to go through it. We can't give up. He gave us this miracle we call our life, and we're going to use it 
for him. And we're going to use it one day for an eternity serving him. So we comply with his teachings and commands now. We don't argue. We don't say the law has been done away. We just do it what it says. Do what Yahshua did following the law. We're like the army ranger, a Navy SEAL, who deliberately asks for difficulty to achieve the goal seen as well worth it. We're the few, the proud, the believers. <laughs> I couldn't miss that one. but no, no, Nothing worthwhile is ever easy, brethren. Ask any successful man in business or industry. Everything worthwhile comes at a cost, requires hard work and overcoming, overcoming failures even. Sure, we're not going to be perfect. We fail. We get up. We try again. Ask for forgiveness and go. When a person walks through our doors for the first time, you know, we, we greet them with a great hope. We really do. We expect them to be here permanently. But some will not be. This happens in all ministries and all churches. But this walk of truth we are committed to is even more difficult. It's much broader to maintain a walk on the narrow way, just as Joshua promised. And so we might get discouraged when some leave the body. But we got to realize that not everyone is on the same level, the same level of spiritual understanding and maturity. They're just not. Maybe they're just just kind of inquisitive, but don't really have their heart in it. This walk has difficult challenges. Some are just not meant to be the same level we are. They're like the, like one minister said, they're like the booster rockets that push the missile to a certain height and then they fall away. And their usefulness is spent. It's not that they're bad people. It's just that they weren't called to the same heights. Maybe it's not their time. Maybe they haven't had the same conviction for this walk. There's lots of reasons. It's not our fault that they can't handle the truth. It's just the nature of this narrow walk. It's the nature of some people with its high stakes. It's the way Yahweh meant it. Many are called, few are chosen. It's a sifting out. Consider Yahshua's parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Most of those seeds that were thrown by the sower never made it to maturity. We know that. They died out for various reasons. Satan and the former birds had them devoured. Some seeds planted were too shallow, could not be sustained. Others were choked by the weeds of the carnal world. You know, others may ask, why does Yahweh allow tragedies? Why does he allow a child to suffer in, in who knows, different ways? Sometimes innocent children have to suffer. I thought he was a fair and loving mighty one. How come he allows that? We respond, why does Yahweh make rain to fall on the unrighteous as well as the righteous? That sounds like a loving, caring father to me. Even the wicked are allowed to live in this world. Why is that? Why doesn't he just put a stop to them and make all this evil go away? You see... After the rebellion of Adam, Yahweh did not seek to make a righteous world, but only righteous individuals to pull out of that world. At the same time, actions have consequences. Mankind sins and does evil to himself. That's why these things happen. 
It's an it's a fallen world. Man does these things to himself. The imperfect world of suffering is the result of humans choosing the wrong way, the way of sin. See, Yahweh doesn't interfere with our free will. He lets us go wherever, whichever way we want to go. He'll point the way, but it's up to us then. Are you going to go that way? It's up to you. Go the way, you'll be blessed. Don't go the way, eh, you're going to have these problems. It's completely, completely and entirely on us, not him. He doesn't interfere with, interfere with our choices. If the unrepentant sinner winds up in Gehenna fire, it's not Yahweh's fault. He explained the choices clearly in his word. He showed the right and the wrong way. The examples, the right and the right, right and right examples and the wrong examples throughout scripture and then warns, this is the way, walk you in it. In case we still don't get it, he even gave us a model to follow. He let his son come to this earth and live our lives like we live. Do what he did. Walk as he did. Talk as he did. Learn as he taught. Keep the things he did. The Sabbath, the feast. This is what Yahshua did to show us the way. The way of righteousness. The way of life. There's a loving father for you. You say he's not loving, he would do that and then have that, his son die to pay the death penalty for us, for our sins. Don't tell me he's not a loving father. And after all that, many will still make the wrong choices. Like Israel in the wilderness, after miracle after miracle, they saw with their own eyes, piling up one after another to get out of Egypt and then into the wilderness and miracle after miracle to keep them alive. After seeing the salvation of Yahweh, Israel still wanted to go back to Egypt. The leeks and the melons, remember all that. Oh, it was so luscious. Really? You don't remember the whips on your backs and the force you made to, to work 24 hours a day or whatever? You don't remember that? No, remember the leeks and the melons out in the garden. They still want to go back to Egypt. They love the world of sin more than the one who gave them life in the first place. Well, brethren, Paul says their lesson is for us. May we learn the lessons. May we learn from their mistakes and failures. May we live for Yahweh in this life, always remembering what's at stake, always remember what we're living for and be faithful to him. May we live no matter what happens for Yahweh? Because, because that is the only thing in life that really matters. May Yahweh bless you.